Support for Tantrum comes from MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork since 2001. MailChimp, send better email. The podcast you are about to hear is about raising kids, but it's for adults. There are curse words here and talk of grown-up things. So, make with the headphones. Welcome to Tantrum. This is from Taylor. Taylor says, my parental moment of glory is, I gave birth to my son after 40 grueling hours and finally got to hold him and moon over our perfect little boy. After I had my time to bond with him, my mother's intuition told me to hand him to his father for their bonding time. My fiance read all the books and was prepared for skin-on-skin contact and cuddles when I handed our son over to him, who then unleashed an intestinal tract of thick black meconium all over my fiance's chest, then on two nurses, mother's intuition victory. We did it at the right time. Way to go, Taylor. Tantrum is a podcast for grown-ups about raising kids. I'm Allison. And I'm Kate. Today we'll hear from Elena Huft-Tucker, who read at our September show at Kavarna. Someday she will stop kissing me full on the mouth. Someday I will put her down and never pick her up again. I knew it would happen, but it's still hard. Elena's story was about the primal physical bond we have with our kids and something that happened to her daughter very early in life that broke that bond. Yes, and it had everyone at our live show practically weeping. It's, it's true. It's a really beautiful piece. But before that, let's hear a parental moment of glory. These are your moments of parenting, hilarity, brilliance, failure, or discovery. We had a couple of extras from our live show that we didn't get a chance to read there that we really liked, so we would like to share them now. Yes. So this audience member from our September show uh, wrote, I had my 19-month-old all alone last weekend. My backup caregiver, my mom, had to shorten her visit. And I'm happy to report that we not only survived, we thrived. I felt like a competent parent and was so excited for my other half to get home. So I really love this because it's a story about stepping up when you didn't think you could do it. Yes. I remember having that feeling when we caught the stomach flu last spring and I was home sick, throwing up with the flu and my baby was sick too. And we were just in it together. I mean, I didn't even want my mom or anybody to come help us because they would get sick and my husband had to go to work and it was like, all right, like I can just, I can do this. Oh, Allison. That's when Merritt uh, learned about Elmo. And she was not two, but she had some screen time. And, you know, everybody is okay. Absolutely. (laughs) You know what? She doesn't start making memories for another two years. I think you're good. She has memories, though. Yeah, she has memories now. But, you know, when she's like 10, she's not going to remember things that happen now, right? Right? I think you're good. No, but like, okay, so there's one one of my favorite comedy bits is... um, is this comedian Kurt Braunholer and he went to card shops and would like write messages in cards that, that, that people would buy. Um, and one of them, one of them he held up on stage and the front said, you're four. And then you, he opens up the card and says, only one more year till memories. <laughs> Which I just thought was really funny. And so, you know, I was like, I can't like irrevocably totally screw something up because... You know, he's not going to remember it, right? 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 Oh, right? I mean, 
Uh, it's funny, but I'm afraid that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, like I'm saying this, but I am a, a totally neurotic lady. And I, I say these things to make myself feel better. Let's hear a few more parental moments of glory from our most recent show. This is in September at Kavarna. This is from Meredith. When I showed my three-year-old daughter a picture of me on my wedding day, saying, doesn't mommy look pretty? To which she responded, yeah, but you're not pretty anymore. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. This is from Katie. She writes, my parental moment of glory is, with my first baby, I stubbornly stuck to my birth plan to have no drugs whatsoever. I think I was in shock for weeks afterwards from the pain. I said I'd do the same thing with my second child, but when it came down to it, I asked for an epidural and watched the 40-year-old virgin until it was time to push. (laughs) That's my victory, letting go of what I thought I was supposed to do. Good for her. And like to be clear, it's not the epidural itself that I am praising. I, I don't think that this mother is either. But it's really just sort of the idea of doing what feels right for you in the moment at childbirth. Because there are a lot of expectations. And people ask you questions these days. Like, did it go the way you'd hoped it would? And there's just so much pressure. Or there can be. So I'm really glad that this woman was like, screw it. I'm watching Steve Carell. Yes, I didn't make a birth plan, and um, I got made fun of by my friends at my shower because the only um, quote-unquote class I did was watching cats deliver their kittens uh, on the internet. I watched a lot of (laughs) cats give birth, and I was like, hey, cats can do it. I can do it. And it was true. I did it. And I recently listened to this um, Fresh Air episode about training your cat. I heard about that, but I still haven't listened to it. Okay, that episode, I feel like I can just take into how to also train my children. Like, you just watch what cats do. This is my new life philosophy. I think you've got a book. You've got a book here, Allison. <laughs> so let us know how you stood up to mommy martyrdom, whether it was watching cats or whatever it was. Or maybe it was just a time that you wish you'd stood up to mommy, mommy martyrdom, martyrdom. I can't say that, can I? <laughs> Mommy martyred them. Uh, that, that is hard. A, a time that, that you wished that you had done that and you just like failed and gave in and caved. You can leave a message at 678-379-3748 or come to our next show Saturday, November 5th at Kavarna. It's stories like these that make the night really real and satisfying and just pretty awesome. Anyway. Is it time for our featured storyteller? I think so. All right. Let's do it. We have Elena Huft-Tucker. Elena is a writer and a stay-at-home mom living in Decatur, GA, with her husband and their three-year-old daughter, Zinnia. Her work has been broadcast on WABE and published in The 500 and Gut Wrench. She has performed at places like Wright Club, Blue Stocking Society, and Naked City, and she'll take part in Transgression, Lost in Oz, later this month as none other than Dorothy Gale. So please give a warm welcome to Elena Huff-Tucker. How are you guys? Good. All right. She was folded in the womb, not tucked into that familiar lotus position, a lovely knot of limbs, 
with her bottom upturned into the nest of my rib cage and her head pressing on the door that would eventually open her into the true environment of her life. Rather, she was folded in half, bent at the waist, her thin arms reaching down to touch her toes. With her head to her knees, she was perched upon my left hip bone like a diver on a springboard, ready to leap. Zinnia, our little flower, she was too tight in the bud. Her pretty petals didn't bloom quite right for their use. We noticed early on that something wasn't quite right. Babies are bendy, for sure, but she was uncommonly flexible. Strangers would comment on it, how she'd managed to do a split in the shopping cart or get her feet up over her ears. They gave me that look that said, is it okay for her to be doing that? Aren't you worried that isn't normal? We were worried that wasn't normal. We did all the research, read all the articles and studies. We knew what the orthopedist would tell us on that awful day before he even said it. She had all the telltale signs, the flexibility, the mismatched inner thigh creases, the late mobility, the dislike for the fetal position because that wasn't her fetal position. Zinnia had, and still has, bilateral hip dysplasia. Both of her hip sockets were underdeveloped and were not gripping the heads of her femurs to move her legs properly. She would need to wear a device called a pavlik harness 24 hours a day for at least eight weeks to attempt to correct it and then still possibly need double hip surgery. But that's not what I want to talk to you about tonight. Or it is and it isn't. Zinnia is three years old now and doesn't remember her time in the harness at all. The doctors were absolutely right. It was much harder on us than it was on her. I have memories from that time that I would not hesitate to label as traumatic. But it wasn't so much the image of my baby fastened up in straps or how she cried from the pain as her muscles stretched into the position that would heal her or even witnessing her constant frustration and sadness at her extremely limited mobility when all she wanted to do was explore her world. None of those things were as heartbreaking as the absence of touch. That was a pain we all shared. We couldn't hold her how we wanted to hold her, how she wanted to be held. I could only nurse her in the one position which was uncomfortable for both of us and deprived us of the tight hugging cuddles that made nursing worthwhile because between you and me, despite doing it for over 15 months, I hated breastfeeding. There were a few beautiful moments and I'm glad I did it. For the most part, it sucked, forgive my pun. And there were no more giggling, splashing bubble baths in the kitchen sink because there were no more baths. The Pavlik harness had to be worn continuously for eight weeks for any chance of it being effective. We were permitted to remove her from it for a maximum of one hour per week to wipe her down with a warm washcloth and change her filthy, cheese-smelling clothes that she'd been in for seven days without washing. She stank. But oh, how we looked forward to that golden hour. I remember the ritual of undressing her, how we each take turns unfastening a strap, unsnapping a onesie, peeling off a layer until she looked like our baby again. And we were finally blessed with her sacred nakedness and allowed to indulge in this precious gift of skin. We would take turns holding her in the one position we were allowed to, 
and I remember the flow of warmth between our bodies, the softness of her happy breaths, how she would melt into the shape of me, and for a moment it felt as if we were of one body again. She cried when we dressed her and put her back in. It felt like saying goodbye. You start reading about it before the baby is even born. The need for skin-to-skin contact to promote pair bonding. To release a hormonal cocktail of dopamine and oxytocin that stimulates the brain, builds trust, and creates that first hazy feeling that of course is called love, but perhaps should be called something else. Because every parent has felt this particularly painful form of love and known that it was something greater than what the word love can describe. Just as grief is a special sort of sadness deserving of its own label, parental love begs to be named with something that signifies its specialness and its dissimilarity from any other type of love. And it was that for us, she and I. I loved her in the womb, and her birth was merely putting a face with a name. Oh, there you are. Nice to finally meet you in person. Did you know that I have loved you forever? So I was not surprised by the love, or by the size of the love, the enormity of it. I knew it was coming. Every book and website and pregnancy tracker was warning me of this unfathomable bigness of love, and I was ready to bear it when it came. But there was another aspect of this love that I was not ready for, and that no doctor or birth coach or even family member had warned me about, and that is the incredible intimacy of parenthood. And that is what I want to try to talk to you about tonight and what I'm a bit nervous to talk to you about. Because sometimes when we are feeling, feeling vulnerable, we assume the worst of each other. But this is a safe space, and we're all here to talk about the things that no one is talking about, the things that non-parents may not understand, the things that we all feel but maybe don't have the words for. I want to talk about our physical relationships with our children. And if you find yourself the least bit squicked out by the mention of that, I would like to suggest that that feeling is mostly due to cultural conditioning, but is perhaps also a little bit of a failure of our language. Because i got to tell you, saying that out loud does feel a little bit squicky. But I think it's just the phrasing. I'm pretty certain that what I'm talking about is something you all experience with your own children, and it's not only innocent, it's pure and perfect and necessary. Zinnia and I have a language. We've been speaking it since before she could talk. It's spoken in kisses, in hugs, in holding. It's spoken when we snuggle naked together under the ceiling fan on a hot day, while she pets my face and stares deep into my eyes as I kiss her eyelids and the tip of her nose. And we talk about her dreams and her fears, and I comfort her with my words and with my touch. This is an intimacy. In one way, it's not unlike the intimacy I have with my husband, but whereas with him what's being communicated is an unfamiliar love and desire, with her my touch communicates only safety, trust, and that parental love that needs its own name. Because this love causes me to kiss her differently, touch her differently, and look at her differently in ways that are in no way sexual or sensual, but can be sensuous and are absolutely intimate. Every touch between us strengthens our bond and retells a story that says you are safe and you are loved. Being touched teaches her how to love others too. She gives truly comforting hugs and kisses. 
and she um, kisses boo-boos better than I do. She understands the healing properties of touch and rubs her friends on the back when they are sad. She snuggles Daddy when he has a long day at work. She pets my hair when I'm sick. She knows that her body can heal and be healed with touch. And just as much as I love touching her, I love to admire the body that I made with mine. One of my favorite times of day is right after her bath. I love to watch her run belly first around the room stark naked. I look at her beautiful prancing feet and I think, surely I am God if I made those feet. And at her long lovely legs, her dancer legs, so elegant and just right for twirling up on one, one toe. I can't help but smirk at her bouncing, blushing peach bottom, covered in its delicate peach fuzz, between dainty, pinched-in girl hips that haven't gained their sway. She has those soft, little lower-back dimples that makes a woman's body look like a violin, but on her they're simply adorable. She has her dad's broad shoulders and long arms with long fingers that beg to make music, to tap on ivory keys or to pluck on taut strings, and it's merely truth that she has a face that could launch ships her aquamarine eyes will ensnare the souls of more than a few, few sailors. She's inherited her father's cheek freckles and my eternal pout and is getting my impossible hair. We can only hope she chooses to use her powers for good and not for evil. But though I could look at her for a thousand years, it's becoming less appropriate for me to stare at her as long as I'd like to. Not because of any inappropriateness of intention on my part, but simply because Zinnia is growing up and her boundaries are changing. She demands more privacy, more personal space, more independence. She notices people noticing her now, and it's no longer harmless. It triggers a small twinge of survival anxiety. On some subconscious level, I think she wonders what they want from her. And it is a heartbreak, no longer having unlimited access to her body. I still want to kiss the bottoms of her feet all the time, but she has made it clear that though she may not understand why yet, she doesn't like that anymore, Mommy. A line has been drawn, and I have to respect it. Her body does not belong to me. She has never been mine. She has always been hers. And though she came from my body, and though I shared my body with her in the most intimate way possible by making it a home for her, though she is of my body, she is not my body, and I must watch her grow farther and farther apart from me. I knew it would happen, but it's still hard. We got a trial of it early on during those difficult months when she was in the harness. That abrupt removal of our access to her body was incredibly painful. I remember feeling an ache at the loss of it, as if she had been taken away from us, even though she was right there. And now it's happening again, only slower this time. I'm watching my love grow up and grow apart from me, and our intimacy will fade along with it. That's why parental love needs a new name. It is an agonizing love, a pain both emotional and physical. It is a love that never diminishes in emotional strength, but diminishes in physical closeness. Someday she will stop kissing me full on the mouth. Someday I will put her down and never put her up, pick her up again. Someday I will view her sacred nakedness for the last time. And it is as it should be. For this is a strange sort of love. It is one where if you do it right and if you do it well, the one you love will leave you. I knew that someday my heart would ache for my daughter's absence, but no one ever told me that my fingers would ache just as much. Thank you. 
That's it for Tantrum. We've got some amazing readers slated for our next live shows. So please come out to Kavarna and Decatur for one of those. All of those. (laughs) All of them. Every single one. (laughs) The next one is Saturday, November 5th. And at that show, you will be reminded that... Raising kids is fun, but hard. Raising kids is life-changing, and yet brain-rotting. This isn't easy, and you're kicking ass. Until next time, I'm Allison Harney. And I'm Kate Sweeney. Thanks to Jeffrey Butzer for letting us use his song, Catherine, for our music. And thanks to Mike Johns for recording the live show at Kavarna. See ya. thinking about those little people so we're gonna have transition to stupid prizes because (laughs) that's how we handle these things that was really beautiful it's time for something really stupid